I want you to open your Bibles this morning. We're going to go to a passage that is so familiar. If you're not careful, we'll just ease over it some and, and we can... How many of you know that when you read a scripture over and over, that it can become a set thing in your mind and you just think the same thing about it every time and you sometimes don't realize there's a lot more to it. I think that's pretty common among us. But I want to talk to you about Psalm 23 this morning in a different way and uh, I trust you'll follow me. But to give you kind of an introduction today, the genuine Christian, not just professing, but the genuine Christian believer must be a man or woman of genuine faith. Ladies and gentlemen, we are faith people. And I want you to kind of hang on to my words this morning in a, in a sequence because, wow, Brother Henry, we sang from glory to glory. What, what happened to Henry? Where'd he go? He's not in here yet. I, we sing from glory to glory, and, I, and that's kind of the theme of where I'm headed this morning. But we are faith people. Let me just give you two or three scriptures that instruct us, and I want to use this as a background to get us thinking along this line. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says this, Without faith, it is impossible to have a continuing relationship with God. To be in, in, in kinship with God. To be, to be pleasing to God. To have relationship without faith. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder. That he is a good God. That he's a good father that he is not a tyrant, that his mercy endures forever. We must come to believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently, continually desire a relationship with him. This idea of coming and getting saved and that's it and walking away is not biblical Christianity. Say amen. So it's, it's a faith-to-faith -faith thing. Romans 1 Paul is talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how we went from the old covenant to the new covenant. And he talks about this gospel, this life, and the purchase of Christ for our salvation. And he says something about this gospel that's easy to read over. So put the gospel in your mind, and I'm going to look at verse 17. For in it, this book, in this gospel, in, in this life that God has given us, in it is the righteousness of God revealed, watch it, from faith to faith. Say that with me, from faith to, say that with me again, from faith to faith. I want us to get that in our mind because it says, as it is written, the just shall live by what? Faith. But I want you to know, in that progressive walk with God, it's faith to faith, as we sing, glory to glory. There is this progression that you and I are to become more like Christ every day in a real living world. Let me put it in another way. If you constantly keep having the same problem over and over, and you keep handling the same way over and over, you are not moving toward the likeness of Christ, and you're not maturing, and sometimes you have to start all over because God wants to progress us in our living. 
Yes, He wants to bless us, and thank God for that. I think the blessing message is so far out of balance. Let me tell you, blessing comes because we're obedient to and in relationship from faith to faith, becoming more like God, that His glory is seen, and He blesses us out of that kind of relationship. <laughs> James chapter 1. It, verse 2 says, My brethren, meaning we who are in the household of faith, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. How many here has ever been in a trial? How many here has ever had a problem and you're a Christian? Okay, I'm going to hit you. Hang on. Did you count it joy? Did you count it? Do you know that the Holy Spirit inspired these words? And so, you know, I believe that we learn to go from faith to faith, from maturity to maturity. Do you know that sometimes I think we ought to get to the place where we're, we're in a place where when a trial comes, we go, praise the Lord, I'm a threat to the enemy. Well, God, there must be something I'm going to learn. There's got to be something here. And okay, you know what? You said you wouldn't have more to come against me than that which I'm able. And that with every temptation and every trial, you'll give me a way that I can make this happen through your power and your grace. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not just be saved and that's it. It's to progress more and more and more and more and more and become like our Christ. So verse 3, it says, verse 2, count it all joy, watch this, knowing that the testing of your what? Faith produces patience. So I ask you this morning, are you more patient now than you were a year ago? Are you more patient now than you were 10 years ago? 20, 30, 40? Anybody live here in this room with an impatient person? Raise your hand, honey. You got free reign. Here you go. And the rest of you are chicken. <laughs> we just miss it. It's a progression. And it's supposed to add to us toward Christ life. So let me say it like this. God calls us to be obedient. He calls us to obedience. He calls us to the sacrifice of self. That means I no longer live for me. I no longer do what I want to do. I do what the Lord calls me to do because he's the Lord and I'm not Lord of my life. That's self-sacrifice. And he calls us to worship. That begins with what is called, we bring into him the, the sacrifice of praise. We don't feel like it. We don't want to. But Lord, we come and then his presence fills this place and it's called worship. Here it is. Our lives are to be a worship to him every day so that this lost world can actually see a genuine relationship with God that makes us more Christ-like. Well, that's a message in itself, and I could stop right there, and don't please don't say amen to that. So I want to make an application to this, and then I'm going to get over to Psalm. Several weeks ago, my little daughter-in-law was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. They don't know I'm telling this, but we requested prayer, and a lot of you have been praying. Unbeknownst to me, I've raised my son, and he's... Got a little wife that's been in church all their lives and loved the Lord and pay their tithes and sent them missions and they, they're involved in the music and the office and the work of the church and the youth. Every year they go with their youth to camp they're like you'd want your children to be. And then this hits us. I didn't realize that it really bothered her and a, few, a week or so ago we went out before the surgery 
My wife and I went the evening before we sat out. I wasn't there 10 minutes. Suddenly my little daughter-in-law is full of fear. I saw it. And I, I went, I pulled my son aside. I said, what, what's going on here? And I said, she's full of fear. And he said, Dad, she's been struggling. I said, why hadn't I known it? And he said, well, you know what, Dad? We feel like sometime we have to walk through this ourselves. How many of you know that sometimes walking in faith and dealing with God has to be just you and the Lord? And there's, there's wisdom in that, and I understand that. And I said, okay, I didn't know this was going on, so I set her down, and we're going to talk. Talked about Scripture, talked about all that. But before we went to bed, we did what I think is important for your house, too. I just said, come here, and we knelt in the living room floor by the front of the couch. Me, my wife, he, his wife, and their little girl. And we had a prayer meeting to touch the Lord for this need. I want to tell you, God is always the answer. And in that prayer meeting, you also teach your children. How many of you know that we ought to have home prayer meetings sometime to teach our children? It's important that they hear you pray the Word of God when there's a struggle going on. And children sense things more than you could ever imagine. Mom and Dad, do not miss a time of struggle in your house to where you take your children to the Lord, kneel in prayer and teach them. That's the place of supply. Amen. So we had the surgery. Took the entire uh, thyroid, thank you. And this last Friday, or I'm sorry, Thursday, I got a phone call right in the middle of the day. My little Shelly was crying. She said, I just want you to know I got all the tests back. Everything's benign. We got it all. I don't have any more. Thank the Lord. And she could not talk without just crying and crying, and I kept trying to console her, console her. And she said, I'm just so thankful for God. I'm so thankful for prayer. I'm so thankful. Then she went to say, I have something to say that I need to say to you. And I said, okay, what is that? And she said, four years ago when you were diagnosed with prostate cancer, I didn't say much. I didn't do much. I just didn't think much about it. She said, I have not been a good daughter-in-law. She said... Why in the world didn't I call you and say, I'm going to pray? Why didn't I call you and say, I'm going to talk to the Lord about it? Why didn't I keep up with you? Why didn't I do those things? She said, let me tell you from this moment on, when somebody's ill and when there's a time of struggle, believe me, I'm going to intercede in prayer and I'm going to call and I'm going to check on people. She said, because I had people who did that that I hardly knew. And she said, but I've had people that I know that didn't. And she said, let me tell you, if I've learned anything in the process, it's how needed encouragement is when you're in a struggle. So I received a phone call from my son yesterday, and this will be this was good news to me. Dad, I'm going to get off the Bible app. I want you to understand this. I said, Why is that, son? He said, You just understand, Dad. He said, I have all this schedule to do, I have all this to do, and I have all this to do, and I have all this to do. How many of you identify with schedules that demand everything about you? And he said, it's not that I don't like it, not that it's not needful, and it's fine for most people. And he said, I'm so smashed and I'm so rigid. And that he said, I get on there and I'm with whatever people. And then he said, I don't have time. I don't catch it up. And he said, I find myself getting on the Bible app, coming up and trying to catch up because people are demanding that I stay. And he said, I understand the discipline. But he said, I found myself going through all my schedules. And he said, I've become mechanical with it. And it's not me and the Lord in conversation. 
And he said, I decided I'm going to take it off. I'm going to take a piece of paper myself and give God that time during every day. And I'm going to sit and I'm going to talk to the Lord. And I'm going to let him lead me. And he said, Dad, I've decided I'm going to quit letting things bother me because I am so tired of being stressed to the limit. Could his testimony be yours today? You just learn sometimes in a time of tragedy or some time of fear, you learn what's really valuable. And you find out how Satan gets us to working against us. I have so much to say about that. Psalm 23, let's read it. You can read it with me if you want. You can quote it with me if you want. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, walk with us the next few moments, Lord, because we're going to deal with just life in its real way. Let us, Lord, know that you also deal with us in life in a real way, and your word leads us. Be glorified in it, Lord, I pray. Amen. My first point this morning, I want to talk to you about the faith and the fact and the finish of faith, of worship. The faith, the fact, and the finish of worship. Number one, I want to talk about the faith of worship. You and I enter life on this planet totally dependent upon our parents. We absolutely can do nothing apart from making our needs known. If we wet a diaper, all we know to do is cry because we're dependent upon somebody to change it. And we'll leave it there, okay? (laughs) Some of you have no sense of humor. We grow older, however, we move from dependence to independence. And I want to be clear about saying this about from dependence to independence. That move is neither certain nor is it ever totally complete. For we never become so independent that we no longer are in need of some things. We are in need of family. We are in need of societal fellowship with one another. We are in need of friends. We are in need of intimacy. We still, in the best of our independence, we still experience dependency. For instance, let me say, today we are dependent on others for education. We don't know it all. In our lifetime, we can't study it all. We go to school. We're dependent upon those who study those subjects and teach us. We're dependent upon for our protection. We're dependent upon medical care, spiritual counsel, legal advice sometimes. The list goes on and on. It's easy sometimes to recognize our need and our dependency upon humanity. Yet I want you to know that we must acknowledge that our God calls us from dependency upon humanity to total dependency upon Him. Everything is on him. Psalm 23, I want you to look at it this morning with me as an exposition of our proper and total dependency upon the living Lord who desires to care for us the way a shepherd cares for his sheep. 
Psalm 23 is a psalm of confidence. Please get that in your mind. It is a psalm of confidence. One of the authors of a different translation, it's really not a translation, it's a paraphrase. Eugene Peterson, I do not equate this with the value of Scripture, but he says it in a different way. I think he doesn't do an injustice to Scripture. Listen to Peterson as he speaks the 23rd Psalm in our modern language. He says it like this, God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You have bedded me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. Even when my way goes through Death Valley, I'm not afraid when you walk by my side. Your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head, my cup brims with blessing. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. Those first three verses of six in Psalm 23 describes God's provision. The last three verses describe God's protection. But the first line is something we know, and I want us to pay attention to it this morning in a a special way. It establishes the the thesis for the rest of the psalm, the first five words. The Lord is my shepherd. Say that with me. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. How many of you noticed we didn't quote it? How many of you noticed what I did? Could I, how many of you noticed? Because I want you to notice. Watch this. The Lord is my shepherd. Here's a question. What does it mean for Yahweh, the Creator, to be my shepherd? The psalmist, I think, is saying, Yahweh, the creator of everything that exists, and in all of its harmony, and in all of its grandness that we cannot comprehend, the psalmist is saying, this shepherd knows what he's doing. It is so easy to get in a place and a trial and not count it joy and wonder if God does know what he's doing. Amen? We have that tendency. This is the Yahweh the Creator. Created the entire creation, yet it's personal. Watch this. The Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd. There was a young boy dying of cancer. And in his last few weeks of life, his mom taught him to quote the 23rd Psalm. And repeating the words time and time again, those first, those first five words, she taught that boy to do what I've done. The Lord is my shepherd. I just want you to know that she was teaching him, the Lord is, the ring finger is my covenant shepherd. A few weeks later, the little boy passed away. When they found him in his room, passed away. 
He had his hand on his ring finger. The Lord is my shepherd. This creator God, this Yahweh God is mine. The creator shepherd, the sovereign shepherd that knows me personally. It means I can live and walk in faith. And once David himself found this shepherd psalmist, he himself recognized who it is that is shepherding him. That is the faith of worship. We worship in a concept of the majesty and the sovereignty of God. Ladies and gentlemen, this God is a majestic, sovereign, creator God. But he doesn't ask us to faith it just in theory or philosophy or concepts. The second, he allows us the fact of worship. Everything you and I believe in Christianity is found in Romans where it says we, we know God and we experience that which is not seen by the things that are created which are seen. God didn't call us to some black philosophical concept that we just walk into. God literally, physically, here's the fact of our worship. We worship Him because the psalmist starts describing His complete provision that we know that is tangible. He starts out with green pastures. How many of you know there's some green fields on this world? Hello? They're there. In the Hebrew, that word green pastures means fresh shoots. It means God provides every day. Jeremiah, when he wrote the Lamentations, he says his compassions are new every morning. The Bible tells us that the Lord orders our steps. I don't think God shows us the whole way. It's from faith to faith. Our song, Glory to Glory. It is, but there's fact, and he goes... Take this next step. That's a step of faith. But ladies and gentlemen, it's based on things that are real and genuine. But I want to tell you this. Not only does God order our steps, I've lived long enough to know that God orders our stops. And sometimes they're kind of miserable or sometimes they're questionable. Sometimes we're going, Lord, what in the world is this? David described it in Psalm like this. He makes me lie down in fresh shoots, green pastures. Sometimes God in His love and mercy stops me and He purposely refreshes me. But here's something great about the stops God orders for us when He stops us and we get back into a right concept. There's no guilt. All the agonizing's gone. There is reassurance at green pastures. It's confidence. The psalmist talks about still waters. How many of you know that in this world there's a lot of commotion going on today? There's a lot of motion and commotion everywhere. And Satan's trying to do everything. The scripture says, he leads me, he directs me. And he says this, in still waters, I have something for you. It's a pool where you can drink freely. I want to talk to you about that just a second because we just read it and we don't understand it. I want to tell you, when sheep are in a herd and they're thirsty... A sheep cannot 
go to a running water or a brook or a river and drink. It will almost die of thirst and water because it is so fearful. Shepherds actually will at times have to go and stack rocks in the side of a, of a little river or a creek and they'll stop the water from running. It has to run around it. Here's why. That lamb will go, that sheep will go to that water and knowing that that shepherd is standing right beside of it because when a sheep drinks, he can't see but this far in front of his nose. Do not live life looking like that. Did you get it? So the shepherd builds the little pool to where this little sheep can go and drink and he can drink and he can see the shepherd's reflection standing over him, still waters. I want to tell you something. This, this enemy is really good at so much commotion that we don't realize God's actually watching us every moment of our lives. Then he talks about restoring my soul. Watch this. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Let's talk about the mind a minute. What a marvelous, marvelous thing this center of my thinking is. I'm telling you it's a master creation, but I want to tell you Satan comes and battles for your mind worse than anything he can battle. The greatest battle you'll ever fight is in your minds. You've heard me say if he can control your thinking, he can control your emotions. If he can control your thinking and emotions, he can control your actions. And that's how Satan comes to seduce. He gets in this mind and he puts all this message in the world out here that, that takes on a value that is any, anything but God's word. He comes against our mind. He tries to change our focus. Get us thinking about all other things. He brings so much confusion. And he adds so many pressures on our time. And so much pressure upon our thinking and, and our time, our schedule. That he piles it on and piles it on. Here's what happens. I begin to lose my perspective. And I get in this quagmire of being so busy. And I begin to lose God's perspective. And I can become overwhelmed. My will is my decision maker. If it's overwhelmed, I make faulty decisions. And faulty decisions have consequences. Is it any wonder Satan comes against my mind to control my will? My mind, my will. Thirdly, the soul is the emotions. I want you to hear me, young people. Emotions are a tremendous gift from God. Without it, we wouldn't know genuine love. We'd never know happiness. We'd never know blessing and satisfaction. It's the ability that God puts in us to express and to respond deeply to things that move us deeply. But I want you to notice something about emotions. It can be the intaking of the greatest delight and joy and happiness and euphoric feeling that you will ever know in the sense of joy but it can go all the way to the outflowing of pain and emotions to where rottenness and death is inside of you. The gamut of emotions is almost endless. So I want to show you something about the anatomy of the human brain. Studied it years ago. 
So just follow me. This equipment is unbelievable. There is in our brain, the very first function of our brain is called a prefrontal cortex. It detects that something, stimuli of any kind, light, darkness, laughter, pain, vision, color, speech, wind, everything, your prefrontal cortex in a millisecond detects it. That goes to what is called a thalamus, which identifies what that is quickly. Then it moves to an amygdala, which measures, is, is this great pain or less pain? Is this just a smile or is it absolute so funny I cry? It measures it. Then it the, travels to what's called the hippocampus and it records it for our memory. And then out of that split second process I just described, our reaction, our behavior, our response comes the way we live our lives. That happens to every one of us. And if Satan can attack your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions, and you get out of perspective of God, Satan can control your life, and he always has destruction in mind. So is it any wonder that the enemy attacks the soul? Yet, the psalmist comes and says, right in the middle of my provision, God restores my soul. God renews. He refreshes. Peterson said, God puts the stop button and he lets me catch my breath. Sometimes what you call a problem, sometimes what you call an unnecessary something may be a time where God wants you to stop and catch your breath. In the presence of God, my mind gives me God's perspective again. In the presence of God, my will directs my decisions again. In the presence of God, my emotions settle me and fills me with the peace of God. And then I'm on the path of righteousness. Peterson says, God sends me again in the right direction. Saints, that's the reason that worship is so important. I want to tell you that there are people on this platform, musicians and singers every week, and their sole purpose is using their gifting so that you and I can come and worship God. And I think we ought to do it enthusiastically. I think on Sunday mornings we come in this place and worship. If there are guests among us, I think they ought to think we mean this. Amen? I think they ought to think this is real. This is not just beat to the music. This is not just some... some simple thing, but this is an absolute sacrifice of praise. It honors our singers and musicians and their sacrifice to worship and praise, but it all is designed to glorify God so the world can see a place where we come and we're God's kids and we're in His presence and He can push the pause button and give us a break. The discipline of worship, the sacrifice of praise, it gets beyond feeling. Beyond present circumstance, it gets us out of the fray and the fracas. It gets us to help us make a decision. It gets us beyond depletion and feeling like we're empty. The faith of worship, when I come, when I sing, when I lift my hands, my faith that is in worship to Him becomes fact because there's green pastures, still waters. There is restoration for my mind and my will and my emotions. And God puts me back 
on the right path. That's why attendance every Sunday is absolutely necessary. Quickly, verse 6 says, it's God's protection my through life. Verse 4 through 6. Verse 4 says, says this. Understand the subject, you. God says, listen to what the psalmist said about God. He said, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A rod and a staff, they comfort me. A rod and a staff, they comfort me. What in the world is the psalmist saying about the rod and the staff? And why would he call it comfort? I want to share, I will share with you what, what the psalmist is talking about. And so let me just tell you this. God did not actually do us a real good favor when he compared us to sheep. Let me just say they're not the brightest animals around. You were supposed to laugh at that. They just pretty much go along and all they do is eat and eat and eat and produce wool and they get sheared and they start it over and have babies and keep trucking. But they can get lost so easily. And they are so vulnerable to enemies. They can be attacked by wolves and many other animals. It is necessary that they have a shepherd. But what is it? Yes, this was used by the shepherd to ward off the enemies. This is protection. But he had far more than that when he said, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Those sheep need direction. They don't know where the pastures are. They don't understand the green grass and the weather. And they don't understand horticulture and agriculture. They just understand I need to eat. So they have to have direction. And the staff, the shepherd, will take the end of the staff and he'll lay it on the alpha leader of the pack, the herd. He'll lay it on the neck and it teaches that lead lamb to go in that direction. And he turns them and they'll follow to green pastures. They'll follow to still waters. And that becomes such so true that that shepherd can actually call to that alpha leader and he can actually take that staff and he can point it and that alpha will lead that way. Has God ever tried to? Has God ever... Has God ever tried to... Is he ever cared enough to <laughs> Do you think it might be important to go from faith to faith? From glory to glory? From one instruction to next instruction? If you're disobedient, get back in line. It's direction. Thy rod comforts me, but the staff. Sheep are so short-sighted, 
they eat and they only see like this very long. And sometimes in that country, there was grass that would dry up because there's too much sun and the best grass was sometimes right in a shade and a lamb or a sheep will eat and it will actually get that grass and it'll get its head caught in briars and brambles. And you know this. Thy staff, it comforts me. That shepherd can't get in there all the time. He will take that staff and he will put it around the neck of a sheep and he will back him out and put him back on the direction he needs to go. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Count it all joy. From faith to faith. Then he moves on. God the shepherd now is the host. He he sets a table. It's a picture of salvation. I will provide everything you need to complete this journey. And at that table, he anoints him. Right out in the middle of a field, it's a celebration. It is a time where God will literally come and anoint the shepherd. It was a celebration time. It is a picture in the Old Testament of when you and I are in the midst of our enemies or when we're in the midst of our service to the Lord, when we are doing what the Lord wants us to do or when the enemy comes, he will come and actually feed us and stop us and it will anoint us. It's a baptism of power. It's a baptism of blessing. It's a baptism of here. Here's favor. But this is a scene that the shepherd paints for us and it's right in the middle of the battlefield. So let me paint it for you just like he paints it. He says, right in the middle of the battlefield, here's a table, here's a meal, here's a celebration, here's a rest, here's an anointing, here's a reviving, here's a refreshing, here's a recess, get back upon your feet and it's all right in view of the enemy. I want to ask you something. Here's the shepherd, psalmist, and all that's going on right in the middle of a battle. What if you're over here and you're the enemy? And you, you're, you're tired, you're away from home, you're away from fighting a battle, you don't want to fight. You're just having to obey your superior king or whatever, emperor. And you're worn out and you're tired, you're away from home. And suddenly, this enemy has a table set with all the food with all the protection, with everything necessary, and there's a celebration, our God did this, our God did this. What's your response? What is your response as the enemy? I want to show that picture to you. Here's why. Because it's not always just about us. It's not always just about Obey or disobey. It's about what your life and my life can do to the enemy. Here's what I'm talking about. God will love us enough to see that we have some battles. But he's going to provide for us enough to see that the enemy knows. Let me tell you something, buddy. You can't have this one. God wants to use your life and my life to disarm and discourage the enemy. 
Sometimes it gets tough. I know it. You never know how things are going to turn. You never know how they're going to change. But stop looking like this. Need to look at the enemy and say, God, I don't understand all this. Lord, I don't understand it all. I have no clue, but I know you're good to me. I know that I've missed you many times, but God, you've blessed me and you've sustained me. And God, from now on, now that I, I have matured, now that I'm from this faith to this faith to this faith, I'm not just sitting here doing this all again and again and again. God, I've moved on. There's some things that you've changed in my life. And God, my progress absolutely disarms the enemy. I want to wake up every day, ladies and gentlemen, with the devil saying, demons get back up, he's on his feet again. Because I can't find anywhere in this book where it says, I'm supposed to be afraid of the devil. Now, I respect the power and the position and the authority. Remember Michael the archangel? Remember in Elijah's day? Daniel, I'm sorry. If you know the scripture, if not, look it up, Daniel. Michael the archangel. I understand all that, but I'm not told to be afraid of him. You know why? Because the, what is it? Lord is, it's the covenant. It's the covenant. The Lord is my covenant. So that's the finish of worship. Watch this. That's why we worship. Listen to the last verse. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell. I will dwell in the house of the Lord. children are going back to school. Some of our young people will be going to the college campus. I saw an advertisement on television last day or two where I don't even know what they were advertising, but a man and woman, they were saying the school's back in session, and they just grabbed each other, started jumping up and down, and the kids were all pouty. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to a campus that has been filled with the world's philosophies and you're going to represent Jesus and you may be ridiculed for it and they may think that you're eccentric I don't care what all they think young people you're my heroes I want you to stand for Jesus Christ. Come on, parents, say amen. Parents, we have, to, we have to show our kids. We have to teach them not only verbally, but by example. I think before school starts, I, I, maybe you think this is old-fashioned, but every, every Sunday night before when I was a kid, before Monday going to school, well, we started on Monday, I don't know that's the way it was every Sunday night before we started back to school my mom and dad would take me and my sisters 
and we'd have a prayer room in the living room. And my dad and my mom would pray over us. Parents, grandparents, those kind of marks and memory in your children are important. Because when they get beat up and you get beat up and we teach that we go from faith to faith, from glory to glory, then God moves us on and He's doing something in our lives and we become strong warriors that live it right. No perfection in us, but absolute determination so that we stand in a society that tries to manipulate us. And maybe no God needs some warriors and some watchmen on the wall today. Amen. God needs your voice. He needs your voice.